In this episode of the New Species Podcast, we're going to talk about six new species of spider from Central America and the Caribbean. We also talk about, and get this, spider porn. Yes, that's right. We're talking about the genitalia of spiders and the fact that people who study them have to look at their genitalia a lot. Let's get started. New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today I'm joined by Dr. Tiago da Silva Moreira, an adjunct faculty at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He's here today to talk to me about his paper in the July issue of the Zoological Journal of the Linnaean Society, in which he and his co-author described six new species of linnaeid spiders from Central America and the Caribbean. Welcome, Tiago. Hey, Brian. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we've known each other for a few years now, and uh, you were one of the people that I had thought of early on in this process and thought I'd like to get Tiago on because he's just a really fun and personable guy. Oh, and we you. work on the same types of spiders. You do a lot more work in that area, but uh, we both are lovers of these linifeid spiders. We are, yes. Some interesting creators we have here. <laughs> yeah, and so just so people are aware, what are linifeid spiders? First, you, I, I'm always confused about the common name because there's like six common names. What do you call them for a common name? So there's a few different common names. I always use one of them, but the Wikipedia is showing another. So I, I usually refer to both. What I usually say is I have to be very careful when I talk about this because of my Brazilian accent. They, they're also called sheet web spiders or sheet weavers. <laughs> I understand why you have to be careful of that. Exactly. <laughs> so some linifids are called money spider, but that's a particular group of linifids called erigonines, which is a, sub, is a subfamily of, of linifids. So they're quite interesting and uh, they are very tiny. And if you live in US or Europe, it's easy to find them now, especially now in the spring. Just go outside, look for some nice uh, uh, sheet of a web, and look for a spider which is right beneath it, like kind of like with a squarish ab uh, abdomen. That's probably a linifid. Yeah, and, and you said they're tiny. Like how tiny? What, what's the average oh, size that you run across? It varies a lot. You have like the outlayers, like uh, the Orson Welles spiders from the Hawaiian Islands, which are quite big, but you have like, and you have the Pupobletus ones who are quite small, but like usually they are like between three or four millimeters. They're around that. Yeah, and the, the one group you'd mentioned, the money spiders, and I've also heard them called penny spiders. Mm -hmm. uh, they generally go anywhere from less than a millimeter to about two or three yes. millimeters. Yeah. And when you say they're large, you were talking about the, the group from Hawaii. Yes. Let's be clear. Large means like eight or nine millimeters. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. getting so, almost getting to a centimeter. That's how large they got. But like, it's not, not actually not, not that much, like eight or almost 10 millimeters. Yeah, yeah. And, and so most of the ones you and I are talking about, mm -hmm. including the ones in this paper, are somewhere around yes. that two or three millimeters, which is less yes. than an like it's it's somewhere around like an eighth of an inch or less. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, to put it in American terms for the yeah the people um, out there who need that. Yeah, I never was good with like the imperial system. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. We're scientists. We're supposed to use the metric system, but not all not all of the listeners necessarily get that. 
And and how big are these webs? Because you said, you know, oh, they make this web. Like, give people, they, if you got a one or two millimeter spider, how big is the web we're talking about? They vary. So uh, uh, they vary according to actually to where they are. For instance, like if you go outside of your uh, yard, the the web must not be bigger than, let's say, this will be kind of this and this will be kind of like a, what so you did this and this but you have to realize we're yeah, an I know. audio I'm, podcast i know <laughs> i'm terrible podcast. i'm terrible with estimating measurements but like i would say about uh the sheet can be about one centimeter or or so which is uh you can translate in inches if you can but like uh that's what i'm doing with the, the hand yeah, yeah yeah but if you go to uh, some areas, like if, if you go to, you see some species on the wild, not like in the uh, cosmopolitan side of like uh, the environment, those webs can be uh, he, uh, way bigger. So the size of the webs, are, the webs are very plastic. We try to um, give measurements according to what we find in the wild. So when I think of these webs, I'm often thinking of the ones I find in my yard or somewhere around like say four or five centimeters across Mm-hmm. and sometimes a centimeter or two deep. Those are the ones in my yard. And when I found them in the wild, I find them up to like six or seven centimeters across and maybe two or three centimeters deep. Is that is that about what you're finding as well? Yes, th- that's about right. So it th- uh, what happens is like the, the, the size of the webs are like very related to where they are. So they're very plastic in the sense. So uh, if you go to the yard, depending where they build the web, the, if the spider is more mature or is just still a youngling, that will influence in the size of the web. But if sure. we're, talking, we're talking about adult spiders, uh, it can vary between six and seven centimeters, or it can be as large as kind of like a 30 centimeters if you're talking about the sure. big orson wellis from uh, Hawaii. Yeah, so and, two or three two or three centimeters, yeah. or two, two or three inches, I should say, for for like your normal one. And those orson wellis ones can get up to about a foot. Yeah. Yes. And if you're talking about, it, it, this I'm talking about the sheet of the web. So, Linifid spiders, they have this particular kind of web that, we, that they have like those scaffolds beneath and up. That makes yeah, some so it's sort a three-dimensional of, web. It's a three-dimensional web. So they have like those uh, upper and lower scaffolds that like uh, they use to trap the prey where the prey kind of is, hits and then knocks down. So that's why some people call those scaffolds like knockdown webs. They knock down the prey that's uh, a fly or a mosquito that happens to be passing by and this falls into the sheet of web. The lenifold is beneath this web and then capture the prey. That's how they work. Yeah. And the, when you say beneath the web, what we're saying is they're hanging out upside down in the web. They're on the bottom of the web and they're hanging out what we would call upside down. Correct. Right? If, you, if you imagine the, the, the sheet web, as you're saying, uh, they will be beneath the, the part that you they actually be uh, under it. Yeah. And you've got six new species and spread out across two genera, one in one genus and five in another genus. As, as, yes. As your paper is here. What kind of size and coloration are these? Are these also down in that one and two millimeters we discussed? Yeah, they're about that size. And that's very interesting because they're very close related gene, genera. However, one of them, Halatifantis, is very colorful. Like the, the whole uh, animal is kind of like, like had this yellowish, brown yellowish thing, uh, 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 cephalothorax with the, with the legs. The front part, right? Yeah, the front part. And the abdomen, where you have like the spinnerets and everything has like this very uh, mixed coloration. They have like some black, some uh, white uh, spots. There are like guanine uh, spots, which is uh, a substance that is very usually present in the abdomen of some spiders. And they have this mix between black, those white dots uh, in, and some grayish area. 
However, the other genus, the Selenifantes, they're almost completely white. They almost have like almost no coloration. They vary between a pearly white and a yellowish uh, in some parts of the body, especially the sternum, which is the back, uh, the, the bottom part of like the, the cephalothorax, which is the front part. Whereas the ones I'm used to finding up here in the northern part, because these were these were all in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Guatemala, and, and in, even spreading over, you got at least one from the Costa Rica. Yeah, and you had another one from the Caribbean, right? From Dominican Republic or someplace. We do have some from uh, we we have some specimens from Guatemala. Uh, one species described from Costa Rica, in Serenifantas, and we in Jalapifantas we have all of them mainly from Mexico, and one outside in Colombia. Yeah, and you had, but you did have one in one of the islands when I was looking through, right? Yeah, I, I think we have a specimen there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Dominican Republic, if I'm not mistaken, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was getting at. And so th- down there, they tend to have a little more color variation, I've noticed, when you get to what we call the Neotropics, which is that area down there. Up here mm-hmm. in the Nearctic, this northern area where we are in North America, not all of them, but the vast majority of ours up here tend to be like this little chestnutty, reddish color, something like that, right? Blending into the background a lot more, I think. Another very curious thing about Linifids, it's... Uh... The habitus, or like, or I would say, is the general way of it, like general shape of it, the, the morphology, of, like the general morphology. Apart from those money spiders, they are not very uh, variable. So you have like a, you don't have much, many crazy things happening. Like it's very uniform for sort of saying. However, the genitalic features, like uh, the male genitalia and the female genitalia, respectively, the pulp in males and the epigenome in females, uh, which are very important for us to tell species right. apart, and that's why we study them a lot. So those particular features of anatomy are very complex. They are full of like sclerites, different things, and they, um, they have a lot of things going on there. And we believe that uh, this is because what's mainly driving the speciation of those spiders is uh, sexual selection, which makes them a great model for studying this particular subject in biology. Right, and so yeah. sexual selection being the mate choice, generally speaking, differential ability to acquire mates based exactly. on some part of the animal, often the physical appearance. In this case, it might be because of the genitalia being slightly different, right? There's favored, mm-hmm. favored to mate with those who have genitalia like this mm-hmm. uh, or like that. Yeah. So exactly. do you ever tell your students that you spend all day looking at spider porn? Oh yeah. Like uh, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I gave up of using this as a pickup line, but like, uh, yes, I told the students, yeah, I do spider porn. Yeah. And they, did they always look at you and go, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like I, I was, re- I was, I tried this once. And then, like I say, like, maybe it's not a very good idea to do this because like, uh, uh, maybe the institution will frown upon, but like, uh, sometimes I can't, res- I can't resist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told this to my wife and my wife told me that was very weird, especially because I told it on our first date. And she said like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> How to not pick up women. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Linifidae is the is the second largest spider family. There's there's nearly five thousand species in it. Ecologically, they do a lot of different things around the mm-hmm. world. But what about the species that you described? These six new species. Do we have any idea what they might do ecologically? That's a very good question. Uh, and the most honest answer that I can give you is I don't know because. And that's a fair uh, answer. That's a fair answer. Yes, but, uh, we know that like uh, linifids on the tropics, they tend to be much more abundant on high elevations and cloud forests. Uh, 
uh, here in the Neartic, as you explained, like here in the North America, you can find those nifids uh, very commonly if you just go outside in your yard, wherever you live. However, where I came from, from Brazil, if you go to Rio, for, to Rio de Janeiro, where I came from, you can't find those guys with the same ease. They just don't happen there and we don't know why. But they seem to thrive if you just go up the mountain and go to like the, the mountaintops and you go to the cloud forest, you can find them there. And that seems to be a tendency. So what role there they have in the ecology of those places is for me, it's, it's a, a mystery. I, have, I don't have much idea. I can make some, uh, some uh, assumptions that they, they do sure. have like some, uh, what roles they, they might have, but like, I cannot tell for sure. Like, that's, that's why fair, we because these are, new, these are new species, right? So we don't have all yes. of the data on these, that sort of thing. Plus, what, why don't more people work on linifeids? I'm sure you know the answer as well as I do, but let's just oh, describe boy. it to everybody. Well, <laughs> we, we, we don't know a whole lot about this group in general. Like it's, it's the second largest spider family. Why don't more people work on it? Do you think? Because it's a big group and it's a very complicated one. It's, it has a big and loaded history. So linifids are, uh, and they're very, very tiny. They're not the tiniest ones, but they're but close. They're, they're close. <laughs> they're close. They're, they're right there. Right. So uh, we have some brave souls, uh, some colleagues of ours and um, including your co-author, including my co-author, which ironically is called Ormiga. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, he uh, yeah, he's a uh, uh, he's uh, and uh, it's one of like the, the guys who, who dedicated his life to study um, the Nifid spiders, him and some colleagues of ours from like uh, Eastern Europe and Russia, like Andrei Tanasevich and like uh, Yuri Marusik and like uh, uh, Michael Saristo. Those yeah. guys did a lot of work in like in the Neartic species. But unfortunately, as most of our, uh, most of the fauna, invertebrate fauna of like the Neotropics, Neotropical linifids are a big interrogation mark. We don't know much what's going on. We have no idea of like the, the amount of diversity no, no, and some places they never, they were never touched, and we probably have like a lot of things already in museums, just waiting to be described. Yeah, and that's that's the amazing part is that they're just so tiny, and they're hyper diverse. It's 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 easier to find them in the neotropics because they're so small, people will overlook them. But when I find them even here in you know in like South Dakota or Ohio or or various other places, people are always amazed. And I said, well, they're so small. People are going to go, yeah, that's a linifeid. And they just put it in a little jar and they put it away because they're like, I don't even want to mess with that. <laughs> you know, so yeah, they're, it, yeah, they are very difficult to do. It's how, did you, how did you find these new species, given that they're so small and all of that, and we're talking about their habitat, how did you find these six new species? We think that's an easy answer, but it's, it's uh, actually, it's not that easy. But uh, uh, it is easy for us when you talk to each other. It's the, the short answer would be, we know where to look. Sure. But like, uh, it's not, uh, it's not as, as simple as it, it requires training. So, uh, what we do is kind of, we have an idea, but that's what we do for most of like, uh, the collections that we do. We basically have like a plethora of different methods that we use to collect spiders and to sample a general way. So we beat the vegetation with an entomological umbrella, which is pick up like a, a, a real sheet of like a paper of like a, of a tissue just beat, real, literally beat the vegetation and see what rains from yeah. the vegetation into uh, uh, or a uh, rag of clothes. 
And then we sit down and see what we can look for and collect. We turn stones, we turn logs, and we look within like in small crevices. Literally we, picking uh, up dirt. Really, we really <laughs> pick up dirt. We go to the, the forest and big like those big trash bags, fill it up with a lot of uh, what we call litter, which is uh, the, uh, the leaves and the soil that stays beneath in the forest and pour it, sift it, and literally keep looking at it, looking for tiny, until tiny things starts to move. Doesn't happen, a lot of them like play dead when they're bothered. So we have to be patient and keep looking at them until they, okay, now it's safe, I can move. And then yeah, we pick them it, up. And, and for these six species then, specifically, what did you have to do? Because you, you, you collected these yourself, right? Yes, I did. So those, uh, those spiders were collected into uh, an ecological assessment that, that we made at Pico de Orizaba in Mexico. I, manual, I saw the webs of the spiders, I collect them manually, but uh, uh, some of them came in, in a plethora of those methods, mainly through beating of the vegetation. Mainly because those spiders, they have like their sheath, but like uh, they have like this uh, more night behavior. During the day, they hide themselves in a retreat, which is usually in the, in the leaves. So usually when you collect like that, you beat the vegetation, they fall. At night, you just have, you just put a lantern in your head and like look for it in the places that you think they might happen. Right. In like trees, like low bushes and like a small, uh, in the near, near the roots of like big, like those big tabular roots of the trees. So that's why you look for them. So you make this sound easy though. And I know the habitat you're in was not easy to move through. It was not easy to look for things. Tell us a little bit about a day in the field of looking at these. And don't hold back. Like we often have this habit of making it romanticized. People should hear the trouble we have to go through to find these things. Oh, well, uh, I, so I keep what saying kind of that temperatures were you dealing oh. with? What kind of rain were you dealing with? I mean, oh boy. Uh, Snakes. Where do I start? Yes. So <laughs> for this particular trip, we went, we travel like a, a few hours from Mexico DF to uh, the foot of the volcano. We walk a little bit, about 40 minutes until we get to the port and we put our tents. We, we slept literally over a pasture. So my, my, my pillow was a rock under my, because we didn't have any other place to put the, the, the tents. I had to put it in a way that like, at least the, the rock is going to be on my head. And the temperatures vary a lot. So there's a lot of rain. You're wet all the time. No, no bathroom. And uh, you have some... It, yeah, it keeps varying between hot and very cold, very hot, very wet. So you never know. What my, my, my advisor used to say, we start to work early and we do usually two turns. In the morning, we can do all those, uh, we can use the daylight to do all those different methods like the beating vegetation and everything. But it's at night that we actually do a lot of the work because as my advisor used to say, when the spiders start to work, we start to work. So most of the nephes, they, they have like this habit of starting to build construction of the webs at night. So when they leave the retreat, they're doing their thing. That's the easiest way that we can find. And we can register what they're doing and how they're doing. And this is information that we use too sure. in phylogenetic analysis. We can take pictures of their webs. We use, and uh, that might be interesting for you, uh, your, uh, the listeners to know. So how do we take pictures of the webs? We get cornstarch and it yeah. just puff cornstarch on the webs and makes them uh, more visible in pictures. 
It's, you just uh, basically cornstarch like a dust and you just get it yeah. to stick to the web and it just makes it, yeah, easy to see, right? Yeah, and the best part is like after we finish, the spider could eat this, it's not toxic to them. Not that it matters because you're going to get the spider anyway and it's going to be dead, but in the case of like, anyway, it's not going to hurt the nature. The sure, cornstarch sure. Thing. But uh, uh, and, and, and uh, the location where you got these now, a lot of these are by a volcano, right? Like, is yes. this an active volcano, former volcano? It's not an active volcano. It's a former volcano. Uh, it's called the Orizaba Mountain. Like, it's Orizaba Volcano. It's a known place into uh, Mexico. It's like, has a lot of, like, local legends. Uh, it's part of, like, the local folklore. In, uh, that's why one of the species I named was uh, Itzactepelt, which is kind of like the indigenous name in, in Nahuatl to uh, that volcano. And I had a terrible time trying to pronounce that. And my probably my Mexican <laughs> colleagues are making fun of me now. So uh, that's but, okay. Uh, I still love you. It's all good. Thank you. It, it means a lot to me. <laughs> and you and had a couple that, of, I'm okay, going to skip go ahead. ahead a little bit on this since you go just ahead. mentioned the names. Uh, you, you, you had six new species, but two of them stuck out to me more than the rest. Okay. Uh, for example, one of them was Game and I. Yes. And you're the second person I've had on this podcast that's actually used that particular specific epithet, the, that part of the genus, or that part of the scientific name, the, the second part of it. Mm -hmm. What does that refer to? Gaiman is an homage, is a homage to uh, the British writer Neil Gaiman, which is a personal hero of mine. So I was a big fan of like his work. I start, like I read Sandman when I was a kid and I cry when I like, finished and so on and so forth. And when I had to pick up names, I said like, yeah, why not? Uh, when I was reading about it, at the time that I was producing this paper, nobody ever did this for him. And uh, he did like a, uh, a, an amazing, uh, he wrote an amazing book called Nazi Boys, which was about spider gods from the Dominican, uh, from the Caribbean. So I said, well, that's a fitting, uh, is a fitting name. I guess you deserves that. I send a pay, I send a publication, but then like uh, uh, Rebecca bit me to, to the publication. Yeah, Rebecca Godwin. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you, uh, you got it, you got it pre-published first. Hers just officially came out before yours, yeah, but you well, got the pre-publish. So everything in the Journal of Zoological uh, Society fault. So it's their yeah. fault. <laughs> and I, I almost uh, hesitate to ask you about the second species because I know that you are a rabid fan. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. It, yeah. Like, it's all over Facebook. You, you are a rabid fan of this particular team where does yes. the name you and it has a double meaning right let tell it us the is. scientific meaning first of tricolor and then what your hidden so, entendre uh, is yes so tricolor means uh tricolor which is more close to latin means literally three colors and is a reference to the abdomen of like this uh, species of halapifantas that i mentioned that have like this black white uh, spots and some grayish areas on it but i use this entendre as you as you cleverly mentioned to pay a homage to my soccer team or football as we say in the civilized world uh, <laughs> uh, which is a team from rio de janeiro called fluminense so fluminense has uh it's famous in brazil for uh, its nickname tricolor which is literally mean three colors because of the jersey of the team has three colors it's not the same three colors. It's red uh, or uh, garnet red, uh, green and blue and uh, white. So those are the colors. So I use this entendre to pay a homage to a team that give me a lot of joy, but a lot of suffering too. 
because we <laughs> Brazilians suffer with football. It's our religion. You know how it is. <laughs> and so, yeah, I thought that was really neat. You actually got to pay homage to the entire team while also being very descriptive of the species. And I, and I know that you got to bring your passion into it. And that's one of the things I think the general public doesn't always understand is that first, scientists have a sense of humor sometimes. We do. And second, that we sometimes name new species based on some of our own personal passions. Yeah, I, I would say that it's, it's, it's the, one of the nicest uh, things of the job, like it's like to be able to render this kind of homage of like things are important to you, like. I did for New Game and I did for Fluminense and my team. Uh, Shahan Durkarabetian had named one after a Warhammer character. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I, I, I saw this paper. It was really cool. Uh, uh, I know the game. I never, I played it once, but I said, like, it's too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and it's, uh, it's, you might want to know, Mike, to say, like, uh, uh, this was uh, this power that we have of like naming species was badly used in the past. So that's why we try to have a gentleman's agreement on gentleman's rules about how we name that. We don't, we, first, we don't homage ourselves because right. we don't do that. So it's, and second, uh, we don't use uh, this to uh, give, to use as like a, to, to use a demeanor name to somebody else. Sure. We do this, it already it's happened. It's an honor. That we yeah, it's an honor. It it's supposed to be like a, a, a curse or something. Right, like Peter Not Yeager. Not that it never happened, but uh, like, yeah. Well, yeah, it has happened in the past. But like Peter Yeager, for example, he named Thunbergii after Greta Thunberg, right? Mm -hmm. the, the climate, the, the teenage climate activist. And then, of course, you're doing it after a sports team. Other people have done it. And Neil Gaiman and other people have done it after other famous people. There's rock stars. There's presidents. There's world yes. leaders. There's uh, filmmakers. Yeah, filmmakers, all sorts that we, that we name them after. And sometimes yeah. the goofy names slip in. <laughs> yes, they do actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess the 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 funniest one I heard in the in the recent history was like a moth that was described uh, that was named uh, after Trump. Yeah. They have like a a panache <laughs> of a blonde panache on the head and a very, according to the authors, a very very tiny genitalia for the <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we have sense of humor, yes. <laughs> We've talked then about where to get the names, but the part we skipped on this was mm -hmm. that I normally do before that, since we'd kind of got, gotten to it, is how did I'm you sorry, decide I'm, that I'm, these were... I'm no, no, that's podcast. okay. It's my fault, too. We're going off on tangents here. <laughs> how did you decide that these were new species? What were you looking at specifically morphologically? I know that you use genetics uh, mm -hmm. to help you out with this, and we've gone through that a number of times on this podcast. Uh, I always like to make sure though, and, and basically you're just lining up the sequences and seeing how similar or dissimilar they are, right? Um, yeah, and you so get a nice course, little yeah. like tree of life kind of thing out of that. And, and that's pretty standard for, for a lot of these integrative taxonomy things. Mm -hmm. Tell me specifically about the taxon or the morphology that you used for your taxonomy. When we analyze the, the anatomy, the general anatomy of like one of these animals, it's we try to look for particular places that we know they're different, for instance, uh, because we know that like all spy, uh, because we believe that like all life came from a single point and they slowly diverge, some things are more close related to the others. So we, we, they share a degree of similarity and they get different in places faster than the others. So those are the places that we usually look for first to see if there are new species or, or the same species. And where do you course, look in these spiders? 
in this case, in the spiders, first we look at genitalia. We have to, we have to resort to porn. So yeah, spider we, porn, that's the first place we go. First place we go. And uh, what we do is kind of, we made a, uh, we compare them and also important, whenever we can, we should use the most amount of like specimens possible. Specimens is like the individual uh, members of a single species. So uh, we you must- capture at, the variation. To capture, it's exactly, because nothing is exactly the same to anything. So you have to have a degree of, you're going to have a, a degree of variation in what we call intraspecific variation or variation within the same species. And you might, uh, and your listeners might be thinking, well, that's very subjective, not so that, up to some point, yes, you're correct. There is some degree of subjectivity, but I, I like to say it's a very educated guess. We must, uh, we must uh, remember the listeners like a uh, species as anything in science, a species description as a species is a hypothesis. We're making a hypothesis that this group of animals who share the characteristics in the genitalia X, Y, and Z, and they have the, the genitalia shape like that, and, the, and they have like the other characteristics like that, we, be, we have a hypothesis that those are a species. And we test those species. We put those characteristics in what we call a character matrix. We put the DNA, we pull the DNA and, uh, and make a molecular matrix. And we use those two to test those hypotheses and see if those are like too close together or they actually far apart if they match. So if your initial hypothesis of like this difference, this differences make a species pass through the test of like the, mac, the uh, morphology matrix and the molecular matrix, you're probably in a good track of saying that those are different species than the ones that you, uh, they are already described. Of course, you have one of the first steps that you have to do before you claim everything's new is look back to see what was described before. Sure, sure. You have this detective work of checking the literature and see, oh, they just, sometimes we have tons of species described from the 1800s that sometimes we don't have any illustrations. Uh, we only have like, oh, this was spider collected in Mexico that is yellow and tiny and have those bands. So how do you do? So that's where the museums get into because the museums hold those specimens and they can actually consult the specimens that leaves the previous authors from the past to build up their hypothesis. And we can compare our hypothesis to those hypotheses and see, well, yeah, this guy is right. This is a species, and what do I have is the same that he has. So this is that species. Or, or different. No, or, or different, different. Right. exactly. So, or this guy described one thing, I'm describing a completely different thing. So there's a lot of detective work involved. So a uh, lot of like a, the time of like a, a, a taxonomist is spent in museums fishing for things, fishing for those uh, animals that we see that is already collected, but nobody ever touched it or right. just put lenifit and forgot about it. So we call those the backlog of the museums. We spend a lot of time on the backlogs, sorting through and say, okay, this, this. And it's part of like, a, uh, and it's, uh, some, it's a part of like what we give back to the museum. So after we finish our work, instead of like returning, putting everything in the same pot, we just put them in single, in a single vial with labels and we help to build the collections over the time. So the more people working, the better the collections the museum are going to be. And that's going to make easier the, the job of people who not, are not necessarily into this part of the biology, which is taxonomy, but more interesting, uh, more more interested in things like ecology, like you, or like uh, behavior, like other people, and so on and so forth. 
Well, so and you've actually answered the last question I normally ask people in a lot of ways right there. And that's why do we care about biodiversity? And in this case, we could actually say is because we're helping future generations through our museum yes. collections. What we do now and the, and the work we put into it now can help future people, just like people in the past are currently helping us so yes. that we can decide whether or not there's a new species, whether or not we're losing species or gaining new species, right? In other words, species are going extinct or or we actually have new species that are coming in. There's quite a bit of, of work to do in this group. And I'm gonna go back to something we've said on this podcast a number of times for budding scientists out there who may be listening to it. You should consider linifeid spiders among other groups because the most underworked groups are the ones that have the easiest path forward in. And I'm gonna put easy in quotes because linifeids are not easy to work on. But there's no, so few people working on it. You could yeah. make an entire career out of it. You can, you can. There's a lot of things to be done, a lot of material to analyze, and uh, not that many people eager eager to do. So yeah, you should consider if you like spiders, it's a good is a good place to start. Is a good place to go is Linifids. Yes. Well, Tiago, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I sincerely appreciated having you here, and it's been a real fun talking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Hope to see you soon in real life uh, after this whole ordeal of like the COVID ends. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Tiago. My pleasure. To learn more about Dr. Tiago da Silva Moreira, follow him on Twitter at T.S. Moreira. That's at T-S-M-O-R-E-I-R-A. Or see the episode notes for a link to his faculty page and his research gate page. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash new species podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. <laughs>